Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving you all recaps on the Thunder Grizzlies game in addition to the Blues latest game against the Crews. So obviously going to get through those two, the top performers from those ones, some implications from both of those games, and to top it all off, I'm going to be giving you all a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But starting things off with the OKC Thunder game, they come back to Memphis to play the Grizzlies. We all know what happened in the first one, lose by a record margin of 73 points. Grizzlies couldn't miss a shot. They were shooting like 60% from three, uh, 60% from the floor too. Like it was ridiculous what was going on with them. Like Santi Aldama comes out of nowhere to drop 18 points. John Conchar drops a 20 piece. Like it was just weird. Very weird. Now you didn't have SGA or Josh Giddy in that game, but like I don't know who was going to stop those guys. They were on just a whole different dimension when they were playing in that game, and they returned to the same exact arena where it happened. There's no home cooking for the Thunder here. They have to go face the Grizzlies, where they just got completely scrapped just a few weeks ago. Now, to make it a little bit better, you do get SGA back. You do get Josh Giddy back. SGA, as we all know, going into this game, super clutch the last two games. And then for Josh Giddy, I mean, he neared... A triple-double. He's been nearing the triple-double forever, but specifically the last two games, he's out here dropping 11 assists. He's dropping 18 rebounds. Just everything was going the right way for him. So he prances into this one looking to make a significant impact. And to begin the game, looked like nothing had changed. Memphis gets back Ja Morant, and they were rocking and rolling. And Memphis, they jump out to a major lead to begin this game and actually the margin here four minutes in uh, would have slated them to a 132 point game now obviously is that going to be realistic during the stretch of a game absolutely not but they're up 13 to 2 to begin it they end up inflating this to 16 to 2 and everything was just going in their direction you couldn't find any source of offense for the thunder honestly they looked completely out of it from from a, like an effort standpoint you just saw wide open close shots they didn't even bother contesting and then on the other end you, they just couldn't generate any offense so they start out just blank shot after blank shot looks like a repeat almost you got a three-point party going on desmond baines going off Steven Adams already had 12 rebounds when the Thunder only had 10 during the first quarter. Uh, and they needed a spark. And they actually found it through Darius Baisley. Darius Baisley's been the sixth man since last week. And since going to the bench, he hasn't really had that major game. But we've seen a lot of effort. And with a Thunder starting unit that really wasn't showing much from an effort standpoint, Baisley really just reinvigorated them, at least the way that I saw things. Now, his end stat line had some ups and downs, of course. But the first quarter has always been where he gets the majority of his baskets. And the same exact trend just translated over to Monday's game. He checks in after they're down 16-2 and gets on a 5-0 run just by himself for the team. He gets a driving dunk, and then on the very next possession, goes out and hits a step back three. So he's able to cut that game down, and then you're looking a few possessions later, 
And you got Trey Mann getting on the action. SGA hits a layup. Single-digit game after it looked like this would have been a 20-point blowout after a quarter. Imagine that. But they were able to kind of just grind this out. Darius Baisley at the end of that first quarter had six points in a pair of blocks, which both of those pretty damn emphatic. Saw him sailing to the sidelines. Probably means a lot when you're talking momentum here. So... It looked like the standing was a bit better. Now, you look at the actual shot chart for OKC. They actually weren't that better than the first quarter in the 73-point blowout. Shot 5 of 23 in the December 2nd game. Shot 5 of 22 in the first quarter of this one. So, percentage-wise, they go up by literally just 1%. 21.7% to 22.7%. Uh, and five field goals made just will not cut it in an NBA quarter. So they needed to pick up the pace there if they wanted any real shot in this one. Still, though, only found themselves out 12, 28 to 16 going into that second quarter. And they were looking to make a bigger imprint going into the halftime horn. And they go out and they do exactly that. They're able to cut this lead down, not just back in a single digits again, but we're talking a single possession the game got tied with a Lou Dort layup 47 all in the final 30 seconds of the half now Desmond Bain did get the last shot with a three of his own he had 15 points by halftime but 50 to 47 was a very good outcome given the first quarter they looked like they were going to throw the white towel out early and they did not do that and as a result they were able to jump back into play and when you look at the catalyst for them getting back in it's none other than Josh Giddy. he comes out of a quarter where he didn't score at all to him jumping out and dropping 14 points in the second quarter going three of four from downtown no one was guarding him from the top of the key so he just kept popping and then as soon as they started closing out you saw some of the floaters and you saw him get to the charity stripe so he was able to just bolster their lineup completely so you go into halftime and it's anybody's game pick up a really needed 31 point second quarter and going into that third quarter you see them do it even better than before they end up recapturing the lead and really taking their first lead since the beginning of the game sga is able to get a turnaround jumper three minutes in gives them that lead and then they're just trading shots back and forth. John Morant gets on some runs. SGA starts feeling it after having a not-so-great first half. He's getting to the foul line. I think at some point here, he actually had six consecutive for the Thunder. So they were just kind of feeling it. You had Poku, too, getting in the mix with some three-point shots. And they go into the fourth quarter up in the game 74 to 72 so a one possession back and forth after being in a spot where like i said didn't look so great for the bricktown boys so they go into that fourth quarter and it's just a back and forth like i said you'd see morant get a basket bain would get a basket then sga and dort make a tandem to get some baskets for themselves and you end up entering the final stretch of this game with the Memphis Grizzlies sitting on top 91 to 89 at the three minute mark. Then you enter Giddy coming back into play. Kenrich Williams coming in for the stretch. And it was a big, 
big deal and a really good call by Mark Dagnalt to do this. Making that lineup of SGA, Dort, Giddy, and Kenrich, you have Giddy playing that four spot, but it's all good. You have Kenrich Williams immediately hit a three to get them that lead back, then back and forth. Brooks hits a layup of his own, then you have SGA getting a layup of his own, Morant's getting a layup of his own. Final 90 seconds, the Grizzlies are up one point. You have a couple barren possessions on both sides, but then Josh Giddy right inside just makes a beautiful cut from the top of the key. SGA's driving kind of stops around the right wing, gets stuck up a bit, and just throws a beautiful pass inside to get to Giddy there. So they get right back on top, and then after a Kyle Anderson miss, SGA just starts running the table, gets an easy dunk to put him up three. Another bad shot, bad possession for the Grizz, and they got to start fouling now. 12 seconds to go, they foul SGA, hits both the foul shots, and then they kind of just walk away with this one. They take this game 102-99 to after a stretch of free throws, advanced to 10-19 on the year, finally break the, du the double-digit mark uh, in terms of wins, and they get some much-needed vengeance on the Memphis Grizzlies with a swing of 76 points uh, compared to the first one. Now, that's actually only the third largest of all time, which is kind of crazy to think about, but it is what it is. So they got the objective done, had a lot of very good performances from this game, and I'm going to go into those in one second. But first, I want to let you all know about the offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long, and DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $1 on any team to score, and win $100 in free bets if they score. You score with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, go ahead and call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, just advancing on to the stat lines from this game. You start at the top here 
with SGA. What a week the 23-year-old has had. Having to deal with the devastation of Devontae Graham a couple games ago. Ends up hitting a game winner in the next one. And then you go into this game against Memphis. We're in the clutch. He was that star yet again. Tally the final 6 of 10 points for the Thunder. And when you count that Josh Giddy assist, he accounted for 8 of the final 10 points. He was just burning it up upon John Morant. Morant came back from a 12-game absence. I believe it was his knee? I believe it was his knee that was injured. So he comes into this one not really at full force there. Just destroy him on the penetrations. That's exactly what he did. And he tallied 23 points to show for it. Had five rebounds and four assists as well. You kind of look a little bit further into this. 16 of his points came in that second half. And then, like I said, a lot of those points came in the back end of the frame. Final two minutes of the game. And that is all you really need. Just put him in the situation late to take over, and he's going to take over. That is what we've learned in the last week. And we kind of had the signs prior to this anyways. But man, oh man. Oklahoma City is lucky to have this guy. You pluck SGA out of this, I'm not sure you're taking two out of the last three. I know for a fact you're not taking two out of the last three. We saw what happened when SGA was not playing the Grizzlies on December 2nd. You put him back in, and look at what happens, man. Victories all around. So, really impressed with how he ended up doing here. I think the adjustments he made, too, were pretty pivotal. Just going right at the Grizzlies' front lines, taking it past Jaw, going into Adams and Jaron Jackson, uh, who actually got in foul trouble during this game, uh, just because all these different drives. He was not able to make a three-point shot. He went 0-5 in the game, but because he kept going inside and he kept absorbing the contact, when he wasn't making them, he would go to the line for two shots and he sunk seven of eight attempts. So typically, you're not going to get all three levels to SGA where he's an elite level finisher. He's getting to the line a lot and he's getting a crazy output from three. But when you're getting two of three, you're still doing pretty good for yourself. He gets two out of the three and that's all you need for the game. Moving past him though, you have SGA's other guard in Josh Giddy. Like I said, he did not look very good in the first quarter. That 14-point second quarter really paid a lot of dividends for him. He ends up finishing this one with 19 points. Other five came in the final frame. But yeah, back end of the, the both halves, really, that's where you saw the best out of him. But the entire time uh, during the course of his 30 minutes, he was passing like crazy. A career-high 11 assists came out of this one. Just a plethora of passes. Driving dishes were going everywhere. He had a no-look pass as well down the stretch of this one. Uh, that really ended up impressing me. But just all these inch-perfect passes have been wild for him. And it's only going to continue. Really excited to see him sticking around with SGA. And look, if his three-point shot actually settles, he'll be a serious threat. Typically, you're not going to get much from three in terms of his production, but the three of four quarter from distance really uh, made an impactful mark in how this game ended up turning around, and so did Darius Baisley's first 
quarter with the six points and those two blocks after that he really kind of slowed down like you check his end stat line it's not that pretty he had 10 points six rebounds and four blocks which is great but he also had four turnovers in the game and when you look at those four turnovers a lot of them are just due to straight tunnel vision you like to see him eat he likes driving in at will and when he does He's not really tapping into the playmaking abilities uh, that he could have, and that hinders him uh, to the tune of those four, of course, and it leads to some easy points off of those turnovers for the Grizzlies, and that can infuriate fans, that can infuriate other people, um, but that first quarter of his makes this a net positive in my book. I think this is the best game he has had coming off the bench uh, thus far. I don't think this gives you a minute uptick by any means. I think this is just keep him in the role and let's see a little bit more. I don't know uh, really why you would bring him back to, to the starters right now just because, you know, you're putting him in a system with SGA, with Josh Giddy, just a lot of ball handlers. Kind of holds him back. And as we've seen, he is a number one slasher. Uh, he's not really going to shoot the basketball at high levels. So you always have to be wary of that when you end up constructing lineups. And Dagnalt has kind of worked around that as of late, putting in Wiggins. And then in this one, he had JRE at the four, Favors at the five. We've seen Mike Muscala get a lot more minutes as of late as well. So uh, he's kind of bandaging it and putting this on the back burner that he is having shooting issues. But I think that in itself probably should keep him to the bench but looking beyond him i want to talk about another savior that came off the bench in kenrich williams it's just another day for kenny hustle here he has 13 points on five of six shooting and he hits that major three in the final three minutes to give them uh, one of their multiple lead changes down the stretch but oh my goodness just his production in such little minutes is a little crazy I wonder what the trade market is for him, and I wonder if the Thunder will ever pull the trigger, because even last year, this was the talk that town, like, he would just drop really productive stat lines playing 16 or so minutes, and this one he played 23, but it still stands, like, you get so much out of him in so little time, and he's able to sway the game in so many different facets, his defense is always going to be top tier, two through four, he can do it all, and then when you look at the offensive game, He's just a catch-and-shoot master, and that's what guys like SGA need. That's what Josh Giddy needs. That's what the OKC Thunder need, and that's what every team in the league needs. So just kind of gives you an idea maybe what a market would be. I think every team should want him, uh, depending on the price, of course. But yeah, really loved Kenny Hustle in the game. And then Muscala had 9 points in 15 minutes. Just all the vets are racking up these wild stats here. He goes 6 of 6 from the foul line and 1 of 3 from distance, so really everything was just coming off of selling uh, those three-pointers, but that's all he needed to make those trips up there. And then going beyond those, Lou Dort, he continues his three-point streak. He goes 3 of 11 from there, 4 of 15 overall, and nets a 12-point, 6-rebound game in 36 minutes. But they will continue their games tomorrow against the Denver Nuggets, and then they will play against the Phoenix Suns on Thursday. But I want to talk about the Oklahoma City Blue for one second. With Oklahoma City, 
they ended up taking a nail-biter versus the Rio Grande Valley Vipers on Sunday. I did a pod on it, and then right afterwards, I did another one. Uh, probably could have saved some time there, pushed it to the 12 a.m. slot, but it was a double upload day on Sunday just because it was very, very exciting to watch. Uh, but yeah, they were able to pull it out. DJ Wilson gets 30 points, has 15 rebounds, and they head into this one against the seventh seed Motor City Crews looking to get to the final game for tomorrow. If they do, $100,000 will be at stake, and that gets split amongst the players. To my knowledge, it's going to be a split across, but that's still some pretty significant money, so obviously there are going to be some incentives for them. But you look at the game flow here, just as usual, the Oklahoma City Blue just dominate from the get-go in these games. I believe the run was 7-2 to open it, and you can't view the stats currently on the G League site, too bad, but I believe it was a 7-2 patch, saw Xavier Simpson make some beautiful dimes inside, and it looked like the Motor City crews were going to have some serious uh, issues if they were going to get into this game but you kind of wait it out here and then you start seeing them tap around the basket they ended up having seven of their 12 shots come the paint for the crews and then for the okc blue they really slowed down in the back end of this first quarter they shot just nine of 21 and once those threes really late for the crews started falling you saw the sink ship for the OKC Blue because they took the first quarter 32-26. to As I talked about in Sunday's game, it looked like the game was done with after the first quarter, and it was like that in both of the games versus the Stockton Kings. They have the plus-minus of about 10 in the course of those ones. 10 points in 12 minutes on average for three games. That's astronomical numbers, but finally they kind of settle back down to earth and they needed a charge during the second quarter. That is exactly what they got. They made that major push, not on the offensive end, but defensively, they ended up holding the Motor City Crews to a 6 of 24 outputs from the field. You saw three-pointers galore for the Crews. At least they tried to take them, but none of their attempts were able to fall in. They took eight one of them was on the tape, so damn near took nine three-pointers, and they were not going in, and then when you look at what the Blue were doing, you know, you didn't see high numbers, of course, just like the crews here, but did do a little bit better here, saw a lot of baskets inside three feet, which was their bread and butter against the Valley Vipers on Sunday. Now, they didn't have a lot of points in the paint by halftime. They weren't outscoring their opponents uh, by halftime just off the paint alone. This one was still a nail-biter, and OKC had the lead. They were up 50-46, to 46, but they were still really far off from taking this one away because the lean was just not really there for them. But you go into the third quarter, much of the same trading shots back and forth that was kind of the major story in this frame and you saw a lot of baskets go in at least from an efficiency standpoint 10 of 17 for the crews really all they had to do was go inside and that's exactly what they did 
Sheck Diallo, who was a McDonald's All-American, played for KU, and actually has some pretty decent NBA stats. Uh, he was just killing the blue right around the cup. DJ Wilson didn't stand a chance against the bouncy four. So he was just getting bucket after bucket. And then once you started seeing that, they'd look to pack the paint. They'd have wide open corner threes. Everyone was getting open at the wing. And Darvidas Servetus was also hitting some threes too. And he was actually on the Pistons. I think he actually got waived now. But he was a second round pick there. They valued him with Diallo as well. He was a highly touted prospect. So they had some guys. And they were making sure the blue had to stay attentive. Now, for the blue, they did better on the glass in this quarter. They had five more shot attempts than the crews, but they weren't really efficient there. 10 to 22, a little bit of a drop off. The one silver lining, they started to get the three point shot going. They went four of seven on distance trips. Said in the Valley Vipers game, like they couldn't hit threes. Went one of 20 to begin from down there. That was not an issue. And you start to see a lot of really good passes. I'd say Vit Kredchi was the main one making those drive and dish dump offs. Melvin Frazier Jr. was the corner sitter in that um, that frame. And he was able to hit one of those too. So they go into the fourth quarter and there's still really no edge, right? Like the crews are up one point. But the way that this game was going... It didn't even matter if you were up 10 points. The lead was eventually going to falter for you because you couldn't hang on. You saw a really interesting connection and a really fun storyline here with some of the Michigan guys. You had Derek Walton Jr. and I believe Mark Vital also, or is Isaiah Livers, excuse me, Livers and Walton Jr., for the crews played at Michigan. They were teammates with DJ Wilson and Xavier Simpson with the blue. And in the clutch, and really in the second half, it was just a Michigan Wolverine show. Like Derek Walton would hit a shot in front of Xavier Simpson face. Uh, and then he'd go out on the other side and just drain a layup. And it was just that back and forth. And there was no true commander and it stayed that way for the course of the period now the one guy who i will say uh, really energized the blue and kept them in during this fourth quarter was xavier simpson his penetrations were on another level he's not the fastest guy but he's somehow able to make up distance like crazy he was throwing some in and outs in there some headsies at the top of the key and they were working Derek Walton was biting on a mall and because of it he was just squirming inside for layups and if he wasn't taking it he was making a beautiful dump off pass to one of the front court figures and they were able to make it count but even with that the OKC blue looked like they were done for going into the final three minutes of play timeout called at the 333 mark in this one you had the crews up 93 to 89 this was when diallo just turned into an all-star level player every time there was a miss for the crews he would somehow salvage the board and just put it right back up and he was getting bucket after bucket on the second chances that's how you got to this two possession game right here 
but you check right back in, and the Blue are back in business. They make a 5-0 run immediately after checking in. You had just one traditional layup coming out of the timeout set. And then on the next play, you get a stop on one end. Melvin Frazier Jr. slashes inside from the left wing. He's a really good Eurostep guy. That's his one kind of interior move that makes me love him as a prospect for the next level. But he goes in and he attempts to make this Euro. And just in the middle of it, he just gets completely clocked driving inside. It's just a common foul. There was nothing mal uh, towards it. But he was able to absorb the contact. He looks like he's freaking leaning over. You know, you're looking at the angles here. He's at a 45-degree angle or something. And he still leverages this ball up, hits the backboard, goes in. He gets an and-one opportunity. And he obviously drills it to put them back up a point. But then you go inside the two-minute mark. And this is when the Wolverine game started. Like, I kind of... Uh, foreshadowed a second ago Derek Walton Jr. takes it at the top of the key starts lurking now he's at the 18 foot range now he's kind of at the foul line he ends up taking a pull-up jumper around that space right over the top of his former left hand man in Xavier Simpson swish give them the one point lead and then on the very next play you got Diallo as well gobbling it up three-point game for the crews final minute of this one it's a one-point game and the crews are winning 97 to 96 for the crews and then you have scotty hobson he started out as the opening day starter for the okc blue ended up getting benched was kind of that seventh or eighth man didn't see much production from Rob Edwards late into this game. You didn't see a lot going for some of the other members. So it just made sense that you were going to put him in down the stretch. I believe you had Simpson, you had Vitz, then you had Hobson. I think Horde was the odd man out from that starting unit. But Hobson takes it from the top of the key. And this is apparently a hallmark shot of his. I didn't realize it until I kind of checked around on Instagram. But all of his former teammates just knew the shot was going in. So lethal with his pull-up mid-range jumper. 32 years old. So he kind of learned from some of the older guys around the league. The mid-range has always been part of his arsenal. And he put it on full display in the clutch. He calls game, takes a mid-range jumper right over the top of his man swishes it inside as well they go up one point 98 to 97 and then you go on the other end it's no good for Derek Walton he goes in off a wheel route off of the uh the inbound so you have the screen setter and then I guess it's more of a wheel motion but starts up top and then makes a bit of that football route where he swerves around that screen but he couldn't get it to go at the rack. You had DJ Wilson on the contest here. And I'm not going to lie. DJ got away with one. Like he most definitely probably fouled him. I don't think his arms were completely vertical. But I'm not going to say anything on it. And ends up missing the shot. Wilson comes down with it. Ends up going to Xavier Simpson. And he gets hacked. One thing with Xavier. 
He has not been a very good foul shooter throughout his career, and he goes up for the first shot, and it did not go in. So now you're looking at a situation where if you miss again, they get that life jacket on. They get a second shot at it. Luckily, he hits the second free throw, but you're not out of the waters. If they hit a three-point shot, they are going to the finals, and that's what they wanted. They inbound the ball to Servetus at the left wing. He motions a little bit to the top of the key, but for the most part, you're talking left wing, pops the shot. It's right on the money in terms of it being aligned. If it had the distance, this was nothing but net, and OKC is going home. But it's a foot or two short from the iron. Looks like the blue are going to get the rebound and call it here. But then the man who has been dominating the blue the entire night, Check Diallo, gets the rebound over DJ Wilson. And DJ isn't able to get a concess. He gets the rebound, immediately tries throwing it up and in. No concessed here. This should be going to overtime. Rolls around and doesn't go in. You get the board. Wilson just chucks it to the other end here. Buzzer sounds. OKC wins 99-97. to They're moving on. And for Sheck Diallo, he has his arms just over his head. He's leaning down. This was like a tournament upset to him. He was really, really just shocked by the end result. Truthfully, I was shocked too. It looked like Diallo had the shot going in, but sometimes you got to get lucky, and OKC did just that. So they are advancing as the number six seed to go against the number one seeded Delaware Bluecoats uh, in tomorrow's game, and they don't have Charlie Brown Jr. anymore. That's an interesting story. He's actually moving on to the NBA ranks uh, but they might have Paul Reed. And Paul Reed, MVP of last year's Summer League, or not the Summer League, the actual G League, took it over Moses Brown. And um, if he does come over, that's going to be one hell of a game. But you're looking at it game by game here. OKC takes the second thriller in a row, and they do it in a lot of style. You check out the top performers from the game. Number one, it's Diallo. Diallo was the best man on the court. There was no 30-point effort from DJ. Sure, he was good, but he was outclassed by Diallo. Nobody could defend him the entire night. And I'm sure if they just threw entry pass after entry pass, this would have gone a different direction. He went 11 of 15 from the floor in this game, picked up 27 points to go along with it, went 3 of 5 from the charity stripe, and had 17 rebounds, four of those on the offensive end, and had three blocks. This guy is just the prototype G League beast. We talk about last year's kind of mold that we saw. Biggest one that I saw was Dante Hall. Go a little bit below that. Paul Reed was one of them. Now, he's kind of a different category since he, he was selected uh, in the draft. But alongside him, you had Tyler Cook, who's on a two-way deal with Windy City. You have some of the other guys that are just big, like Brown and Yurt7, for example. But even like a six foot seven dude in O'Shea Brissett. As long as you have hops and you have really good touch around the baskets, you're going to be dropping double-doubles on a consistent basis. And a lot of the call-ups have been guys of that mold. I think if Diallo does not get a call-up, 
these GMs are not doing a very good job because Diallo, I think, has earned it. This was easily the best game he's had all season for the Crews. But even with that, uh, when he was playing for the Suns, when he was playing for the Pelicans, he was posting good numbers. And, you know, for a guy like Wilson, who is in the market for a call-up, um, he just got outplayed by Diallo off his interior play. And that almost gave them that $100,000 shot. But, yeah, couldn't do it for them. You look at some of the other guys for the crews. Derek Walton, I just want to talk about him due to the Michigan relations. 7 of 15. Only went 0 of 2 from 3. He was just being old-fashioned. Mid-range game, take it right to Xavier, and he was doing it. He ended up dropping 14 points and 11 assists in this one. And then you had Davidis Savitas as well, who had 17 points, going 5 of 13 from distance. That's the only place he shot from. And honestly, that's the only place he needed to shoot from because he was one three ball away, just like Diallo from potentially turning the tides on the tournament. But they could not do that. And as a result, OKC has gone forward. Main guy from this game, Xavier Simpson. Now, he didn't lead the team in points. He wasn't even a top three guy in that category. But the way he handled the basketball and the way he's able to handle it with minimal turnovers and really minimal mistakes is just so lovely. Poetry in motion whenever he plays. That's kind of how I like to see it. It's such a treat seeing him handle the basketball. Got it on a yo-yo damn near. Yo-yo on a string because it seems like it's going to get poked. He's going to make some you know, bad kick out or something just because he's so tiny and he always kind of gets into that danger zone, but it never costs him really. He goes out there, ends up going for 12 points, five rebounds and five assists. And then on the, the defensive side too, he has four steals. I mean, he was just picking pockets. He was just cutting off passing lanes, literally intercepting it and taking it the other way. Dude's the Energizer Bunny, and the Blue need an Energizer Bunny. He's able to be the pass-first point guard that the roster needs. Now, you can play Rob Edwards as the on-ball guy, the initiator, and I'm sure you do fine, but you gotta find some way to get the ball around, and Xavier Simpson is the best man suited for the job. He was doing a better job than Ty Jerome last year in that regard, and even when you see guys like Teo and Trey Mann out here, his production as a passer and as a ball handler has been on that level or consistency-wise actually been at a higher level than the assignments thus far. So Xavier Simpson, especially in that second half, just turned up a couple levels and changed the dynamics of the game. But once you move beyond him, you go to the top scorer and it's DJ Wilson yet again. Goes for 20 and 10, so he gets the double-double. Uh, but I will say he didn't look as good. This was not just an instant ATM. You weren't cashing out every time you dumped it inside for him. He actually only went 7 of 18 or 7 of 19 on the game. So those inside post hooks that were going in every time just didn't have the right touch on him. Were they open? Yes, but they weren't yielding the results that were needed. So he wasn't, he wasn't the guy that you wanted the ball with to end the game, at least in my opinion. I think they read it right with giving it to Hobson and just letting it free flow uh, down the stretch uh, because 
you know, the matchup with Wilson and Diallo was not really going in his favor, but I will say his face-up game uh, was pretty damn good. He ends up hitting two top-of-the-key triples. Now, he goes two of seven overall, but the fact he was taking them was big just because he hasn't been taking them uh, in the previous games, at least to the tune of seven tries a game, but they were going in, and then at the foul line, too, that's probably his best shot night-to-night uh, -night when he can't go just three feet in and play some bowling ball, so yeah, he was able to be a source when necessary for the roster, and then with those rebounds, the biggest one obviously came at the very end of the game. He needed that to seal the game, and he did it. Fully expect him to be in an NBA jersey soon. Uh, same with a couple other guys on this team, but we're going to go to somebody who already is on an NBA roster in Vit Kredchi. Another beautiful game for the 21-year-old. He comes out and has 11 points, 4 rebounds, and 3 assists in his 30-minute cut. Goes 4 of 8 in this game, but the big deal, he went 3 of 5 from distance. Everyone was just falling flat from deep in the last game. Krejci was the best shooter on the blue in this one. Just find him open, left wing. He was even taking it off the bounce. He was feeling it, and his jumper is a real beauty. At least from a technical standpoint, I really love it. Now, he's not shooting particularly well uh, from like a split standpoint. When you check him out on like basketball reference or whatever, it's not great. But if he's able to get it down, uh, you're good because most of the time, it's on the line, just gets a bad bounce. He doesn't have a rainbow shot or anything. But once he starts feeling it, he starts feeling it. That is the prime example that you find here. And then also, when he's going there, obviously, he's going to be a dual threat because just his passing ability, too, is just amazing, especially for the level of the G League. Six foot eight. If you're able to have a six foot eight ball handler, you have a very special piece on your hands. And he's able to make people work and able to just stretch the floor out so much with his passing ability. A couple cross court passes in Sunday's game, a couple in this one. And they led to some catch and shoot makes. The biggest recipient of that had to be Melvin Frazier Jr. He dropped 15 points in his starting gig. He went 6 of 12 from the field, 2 of 5 from distance, and went 1 of 1 at the stripe with that major and 1 off the acrobatic finish. Showed you a little bit of everything in this game, and he really just uh, gave that all-around performance that I've been harping about for damn near a year at this point, at least on the podcast. Reason I love Melvin He's just so low maintenance in terms of you don't have to give him the ball every single play to be effective. Just sit him in the corner. If it doesn't get out to him, it doesn't matter. But if he gets it in the corner, he's able to pop it or he can go cut inside for himself, have one of those Euro steps and try to make something happen. But for the most part, when you're lining him up, he's going to be a catch and shoot player only. And when he did get called upon, he did make a couple pretty big ones. Now, he did completely airball one of the corner threes in this game, but that was kind of the only bad attempt, I'd say, he had during his share out there. Had five rebounds with the three assists, too, so it wasn't like just one-dimensional with the 15 points. 
Um, but even when you look at the 15, it's not all catch and shoots, like I said. Transition play for him is a major positive, and just him having that 7-2 wingspan alongside the 6'6 frame makes it so difficult for some of these guards, you know, with guys like Wilson being able to post up. I'm sure if Frazier Jr. had a decorative background in terms of post play, he could just dominate against other shooting guards and small forwards he's playing up against because stature-wise, he's just... uh, more um, more loaded in that area. I guess that's how you'd like to put it, but uh, it works on the defensive side too. I think he had two steals on Sunday. He has two steals in this one as well. I like him also making a jump at some point with all these different COVID um, health and safety protocols just being thrown out left and right. A lot of chances will be given. I think Melvin uh, will end up being one of those guys. Jalen Horde for the starting units. He had a double-digit game with 12-2. and two. I don't know in terms of being on an NBA roster. He did look pretty solid with the blue in, uh, in his two-way when he was really just playing with a thunder on it. But I don't know. We'll see. He's probably a little bit below uh, my list. I think the target list would have Wilson and Frazier Jr. above him. But he's still good. Goes 5 of 8. 2 of 2 from 3, which doesn't happen very much. He's not a 3-point shooter. If anything, he's going to go 0 of 2, and that's going to be that. But really nice touch he was able to bring uh, from that area of the game, and he really needed it because he didn't get aided much with a lot of rebounds or a lot of assists. To be fair, though, he was kind of pushed out a little bit in the rotation, only played 26 minutes in the game. Scotty Hobson is the main reason why, because he got to play in the final moments, and that ended up being the best decision Grant Gibbs has made all season long. He drops 17 points in his 24, goes 6 of 12, and 1 of 2 from distance, got to the line 5 times, so we left a lot of points potentially up there on the board, went 2 of 5 there, so that could have been a 20 piece for Scotty, but... I still think he's okay with this. This is the best game I've seen from Scotty Hobson. The most uh, just all-around night I could have seen from him. And he didn't really have that many hiccups, to be quite honest with you. He was also just out there, kind of like Melvin Fraser Jr., just taking what was given to him. Now, the isolation and space where he hit that dagger, that was a different type of deal. Um, But... For the most part, he would just be at the wing, and if the ball got over his way, then he'd make it work. Uh, If not, he'd just cut inside and kind of get the fruits of his labor that way. Really liked Scotty, though. I think he'll have an increased role moving into tomorrow's matchup, but wow, yeah, they really needed his services in the closing moments of the game. Rob Edwards uh, did not have a very good game again, and, you know, he went 2 of 10 on Sunday does it really matter? I think in the grand scheme, probably not just because he's one of those types where he'll have a two of 10 game and then he'll have 25 points in what, 18, 19 minutes. So I didn't think that there would be a trend here. I don't think it is a trend, but another not so great game for him probably will shake it off, but he went one of three in the game. Oh, of two from distance, four points. Now one of his shots that went in, Uh, had to be the most impressive shot of the game. He drives inside from the left wing and just like double clutches midair, three guys are going at him and he still makes it off the glass. Like that is 
a very telling sign of his offensive game because his best uh, kind of aspect has been the step back three. After that, it's probably the left wing transition pull up. Uh, and then it's kind of just wherever outside of the perimeter and even in the mid range. His inside game was not a big part of the mix last year, but he's starting to bolster it up. And that play just showed me all I needed to see. I, I think you can say that he is a bucket getter at all three levels. Only issue though, he was not able to create space in this game, and sometimes he creates it one-on-one. And I'm going to say, I think the spacing wasn't the best if Edwards wanted to go one-on-one. He really didn't get that opportunity. He would get the ball, and then he'd be at the left wing. Someone would be at the top of the key, and someone would be at the corner. Kind of just no real space to breathe there. And then if not, he'd get a high ball screen up top and off a hedge. He couldn't break free, so... Uh, In terms of shot creation, this was not his greatest game. Gets one more opportunity, though, against the Bluecoats. So you would hope that goes uh, his way. And then for some other guys, too, Olivier Saar. Just wanted to mention him again. Eight points and five rebounds in 13 minutes. Had a good stat line in Sunday's game, so just keep out for him. Michael Benajay, too. He was part of the rotation, which was not a real thing going into the Winter Showcase Cup. So it just tells you anyone can get their shot here. And Michael definitely did that. No points here, but I would assume he still gets to play 10 to 15 minutes in tomorrow's game. So I will be covering that. Also, we'll be covering the Thunder game. In tomorrow's episode, though, going to be dropping some special news, going to be dropping some blue news, and hopefully you all will enjoy that. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.